Chapter Sixteen of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson. Chapter Sixteen of Captain Spriggs and His Crew. Spriggs sailed with Lowe for a pretty while, and I believe came away from Lothar along with him. He was quartermaster to the company, and consequently had a great share in all the barbarities committed by that execrable gang till the time they parted, which was about Christmas last, when Lowe took a ship of twelve guns on the coast of Guinea, called the Delight, formerly the Squirrel, man of war, commanded by Captain Hunt. Spriggs took possession of the ship with eighteen men, left low in the night, and came to the West Indies. This separation was occasioned by a quarrel with Lowe, concerning a piece of justice Spriggs would have executed upon one of the crew, for killing a man in cold blood, as they call it, one insisting that he should be hanged, and the other that he should not. A day or two after they parted, Spriggs was chose captain by the rest, and a black ensign was made, which they called Jolly Roger, with the same device that Captain Lowe carried, viz., a white skeleton in the middle of it, with a dart in one hand striking a bleeding heart, and in the other an hourglass. When this was finished and hoisted, they fired all their guns to salute their captain and themselves, and then looked out for prey. In their voyage to the West Indies, these pirates took a Portuguese bark, wherein they got valuable plunder, but not contented with that alone, they said they would have a little game with the men, and so ordered them a sweat, more for the brute's diversion than the poor men's health, which operation is performed after this manner. They stick up lighted candles circularly round the mizzenmast, between decks, within which the patients one at a time enter, without the candles, the pirates post themselves as many as can stand, forming another circle, and armed with pen-knives, tucks, forks, compasses, etc., and, as he runs round and round, the music playing at the same time, they prick him with these instruments. This usually lasts for ten or twelve minutes, which is as long as the miserable man can support himself. When the sweating was over, they gave the Portuguese their boat with a small quantity of provisions, and set their vessel on fire. Near the island of St. Lucia, they took a sloop belonging to Barbados, which they plundered and then burnt, forcing some of the men to sign their articles. The others they beat and cut in a barbarous manner, because they refused to take on with the crew, and then sent them away in the boat, who all got safe afterwards to Barbados. The next was a Martinico man, which they served as bad as they had done the others, but did not burn their ship. Some days afterwards, in running down to leeward, they took one Captain Hawkins, coming from Jamaica, loaden chiefly with logwood. They took out of her stores, arms, ammunition, and several other things, as they thought fit, and what they did not want they threw overboard or destroyed. They cut the cables to pieces, knocked down the cabins, broke all the windows, and in short took all the pains in the world to be mischievous. They took by force out of her Mr. Burridge and Mr. Stevens, the two mates, and some other hands, and after detaining the ship from the 22nd of March 
to the twenty-ninth they let her go. On the twenty-seventh they took a Rhode Island sloop, Captain Pike, and all his men were obliged to go aboard the pirate, but the mate, being a grave sober man, and not inclinable to stay, they told him he should have his discharge, and that it should be immediately writ on his back, whereupon he was sentenced to receive ten lashes from every man in the ship, which was rigorously put in execution. The next day Mr. Burridge, Captain Hawkins's mate, signed their articles, which was so agreeable to them, he being a good artist and sailor, that they gave three huzzas, fired all the guns in the ship, and appointed him master. The day was spent in boisterous mirth, roaring and drinking of health, among which was, by mistake, that of King George the Second. For you must know, now and then, the gentry are provoked to sudden fits of loyalty, by the expectation of an act of grace. It seems Captain Pike had heard at Jamaica that the king was dead, so the pirates immediately hoisted their ensign half-mast, the death signal, and proclaimed his royal highness, saying, They doubted not but there would be a general pardon in a twelve-month, which they would embrace and come in upon, but damn them if they should be expected out of it, they would murder every Englishman that should fall into their hands. The second of April they spied a sail, and gave her chase till twelve o'clock at night. The pirates believed her to be a Spaniard. When they came close up to her, they discharged a broadside, with small and great shot, which was followed by another. But the ship, making a lamentable cry for quarters, they ceased firing, and ordered the captain to come aboard, which he did. But how disappointed the rogues were when they found was their old friend Captain Hawkins, whom they had sent away three days before, worth not one penny. This was such a bulk to them, that they resolved he should suffer for falling in their way, though it was so contrary to his own inclinations. About fifteen of them surrounded the poor man with sharp cutlasses, and fell upon him, whereupon he was soon laid flat on the deck. In that instant Burridge flew amongst the thickest of the villains, and begged earnestly for his life, upon whose request was granted. They were now most of them drunk, as is usual at this time of night, so they unanimously agreed to make a bonfire of Hawkins's ship, which was immediately done, and in half an hour she was all of a blaze. After this they wanted a little more diversion, and so Captain Hawkins was sent for down to the cabin to supper. What should the provision be but a dish of candles, which he was forced to eat, having a naked sword and a pistol held to his breast all the while? When this was over they buffeted him about for some time, and sent him forward amongst the other prisoners, who had been treated with the same delicacies. Two days afterwards they anchored at a little uninhabited island called Rattan, near the bay of Honduras, and put ashore Captain Hawkins and several other men, one of them his passenger, who died there of the hardships he underwent. They gave them powder and ball, and a musket, with which they were to shift as they could, sailing away the next day for other adventures. Captain Hawkins and his unfortunate companions stayed nineteen days upon this island, supplying themselves with both fish and fowl, such as they were, at which time came two men in a canoe that had been left upon another maroon island near Benica, who carried the company at several times thither, it being more convenient in having a good well of fresh water and plenty of fish, etc. Twelve days afterwards they spied a sloop off at sea, which, upon their making a great smoke, stood in and took them off. She was the Merriam, 
Captain Jones, lately escaped out of the Bay of Honduras from being taken by the Spaniards. At an island to the westward, the pirates cleaned their ship and sailed towards the island of St. Christopher's to wait for one Captain Moore, who commanded the Eagle Sloop when she took Lothers upon the careen at Blanco. Spriggs resolved to put him to death, whenever he took him, for falling upon his friend and brother, but instead of more he found a Frenchman of war from Martinico upon the coast, which Spriggs, not thinking fit to contend with, run away with all the sail he could make. The Frenchman crowded after him, and was very likely speak to Mr. Briggs, when unfortunately his main top mast came by the board, which obliged him to give over the chase. Spriggs then stood to the northward, toward Bermudas, or the Summer Isles, and took a schooner belonging to Boston. He took out all the men, and sunk the vessel, and had the impudence to tell the master that he designed to increase his company on the banks of Newfoundland, and then would sail for the coast of New England in quest of Captain Solgard, who attacked and took their consort Charles Harris, Spriggs being then in low sloop, who very fairly ran for it. The pirate asked the master if he knew Captain Solgard, who answering no, he asked another the same question, and then a third, who said he knew him very well, upon which Spriggs ordered him to be sweated, which was done in the manner before described. Instead of going to Newfoundland as the pirates threatened, they came back to the islands, and to windward of St. Christopher's, on the 4th of June last, took a sloop, Nicholas Trot, master, belonging to St. Estusha, and wanting a little diversion, they hoisted the men as high as the main and four tops, and let them run down a main, enough to break all the bones in their skins, and after they had pretty well crippled them by this cruel usage, and whipped them about the deck, they gave Trot his sloop and let him go, keeping back only two of his men, besides the plunder of the vessel. Within two or three days they took a ship coming from Rhode Island to St. Christopher's, loaden with provisions and some horses. The pirates mounted the horses and rid them about the deck backwards and forwards a full gallop, like madmen at Newmarket, cursing, swearing, and hollowing, at such a rate that made the poor creatures wild, and at length, two or three of them throwing their riders, they fell upon the ship's crew, and whipped and cut and beat them in a barbarous manner, telling them it was for bringing horses without boots and spurs, for want of which they were not able to ride them. This is the last account we have had of Captain Spriggs. I shall only add the two following relations, and conclude. A brigantine belonging to Bristol, one Mr. Rowry, master, had been trading at Gambia in Africa, and falling as low as Cape Mount to finish the slaving of the vessel, he had, by a misfortune usual at that part of the coast, his mate, surgeon, and two more of his men, panniered, footnote, term for stealing of men used all over the coast, end footnote, by the negroes. The remainder of his company, which was not above five or six in number, took this opportunity and seized the vessel in the road, making the master prisoner. You will think it prodigious imprudent that so small a number should undertake to proceed a pirating, especially when neither of them had sufficient skill in navigation. Yet this they did, leaving those people, their shipmates above mentioned, to the mercy of the barbarous natives, and sailed away down the coast, making them a black flag, which they merrily said would be as good as fifty men more, i.e. would carry as much terror, and that they did not doubt of soon increasing their crew, 
to put them in an enterprising capacity, but their vain projection was soon happily frustrated, and after this manner. The master, whose life they had preserved, perhaps only for supplying their own unskilfulness in navigation, advised them that since contrary to their expectations they had met with no ship between Cape Mount and the Bight of Calabar, to proceed to the island of St. Thomas's, where they might recruit with provisions and water, and sell off the slaves, about seventy of them, which they perceived would be a useless lumber, and incommodious to their design. They arrived there in August 1721, and one evening, while part of them were on shore, applying for this purpose to the governor, and the other part carelessly from the deck, Mr. Rowry stepped into the boat belonging to the vessel, and pushed off very suddenly. They heard the noise it made, and soon were upon deck again, but having no other boat to pursue, nor a musket ready to fire, he got safe on shore, and ran to the governor with his complaint, who immediately imprisoned those already there, and sent a launch off to take the rest out of the ship. The Swallow arrived at St. Thomas's the beginning of October following, where, on Mr. Rowry's remonstrance, application was made to the Portuguese governor of that island for a surrendery of these five English prisoners then in the castle, but he not only peremptorily excused himself from it, as a matter out of his power, without particular direction from the court of Portugal, but withal insinuated that they had only taken refuge there from the hardships and severity they had met with from their master. The manner of denial, and the avaricious temper of the gentleman, which I had occasion to be acquainted with, makes it very suspicious, that he proposed considerable gains to himself, for if Mr. Rowry had not made such an escape to him, the slaves had been his for little or nothing, as a bribe to silence his suspicions, which any man, less acute than he, must have had from the awkward and unskilful carriage of such merchants. But enough of this, perhaps he is not the only governor abroad that finds an interest in countenancing these fellows. End of chapter 16